How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Pedro Mora. Also from The Athletic, you are listening to The Scribes of Summer, a show about the Los Angeles Dodgers. Pedro, how's it going? Hello, Andy. It's going fine. How are you? <laughs> Man, you you really reached in deep into the lungs for that one. Yeah, I've been uh, been doing some breathing exercises, you know, going into my diaphragms. It's been fun. How are you doing? Great. Just just great. That's great. Hey, we have a guest. Believe. Yeah, I'm okay. Whatever. I bought a vest. You know, it's okay. It's the best season of the year, the fall. Uh, Yeah. It, okay. it is the fall. I'll give that to you. <laughs> All right. We have a guest for today's episode as the Dodgers are embarking on the first round of the postseason against Milwaukee Brewers. So we have our fine Brewers beat writer, Will Salmon, on the program today to tell us all about these folks from Wisconsin. Will, how's it going, man? It's going really well. I caught the playoff fever here in Milwaukee. <laughs> Is, yeah. Is that what everyone's talking about in Milwaukee? The Packers played uh, Sunday night, so. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, yeah, yeah. They'll be talking about it this week, though. So you, you had been living in, in Florida, right? Yeah, yeah. I was okay. covering the Florida Gators for the Athletics uh, since 2018. So Right. So when did you move to Milwaukee proper? That's a great question because it's <laughs> it's a very complicated story. So oh. I was covering I was covering the Gators up until signing day which is the first week of February and spring training is right up against that right middle of middle of February yeah and so I was actually I was living in Florida and then I went to Arizona for spring training I went back to Florida after two weeks of spring training and then I drove to Wisconsin and then I went back to spring training and then about two days after that is when it shut down and I went back to Wisconsin. So, right. yeah, I guess I guess late February is the answer to that one. Okay. So, you've experienced like no time as a Milwaukeean when the city was actually like open, I guess. That's a fact. Yes. Although, although things are kind of open now, though. So. Oh, well, that's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> so, tell us, uh, the Brewers... Obviously, they retain a lot of players who Dodgers fans might be familiar with from their roster in 2018. There's also been a significant amount of turnover. Like, I guess the first question is, is this team any good? Like, they were under 500 all year, right? They were. They spent a total of zero days above 500 this year. So there's a lot of reasons for that. I think that their goal this year was always to to make the playoffs. And if you looked at analytical sites, whether it was you know the Fangraph odds, whatever it is, they were always given a decent shot to do that. They had a pretty solid roster. That said, things didn't really work out the way that GM David Stearns envisioned as far as the guys that he brought in. A lot of those moves, as he said after the game on Sunday, they just didn't pan out that well. So it's weird in the sense of how they got here, even though that this was always supposed to be their destination as, you know, a team that just made it in sort of, you know, in 162 games, they were probably going to get somewhere in the upper 80s of as far as wins go. Here in a 60 game season, they finish with 29, they go 29 and 31, somehow still make the playoffs. But there was a lot of turnover. A lot of the decisions didn't work out. The offense just underperformed is probably not a strong enough word to put it. On the flip side, they got some breakout performances from a couple of pitchers. And so their pitching staff carried them to this point. It's what saved them this year. And it's what it's enabled them to to be that eighth team. It sure has. Yeah. So we know you weren't there for Yelich's uh, best years. From what you've gleaned, how do you explain what has happened to him this season? I mean, he's the name, I think, in addition to Hater that most Dodgers fans know. And, and the, the strikeout rate, I guess you can explain. It's alarming when, you, when we look at it. I mean, just to, to see it increased by more than 50% 
year over year is is ridiculous. I mean, that's got to be one of the largest in baseball. Still kind of an okay player this year. Wasn't bad necessarily. I guess, how did it feel watching him compared to what you expected? I mean, tell us about what what Yelich's 2020 has been like. So for context, I think it's worth saying, and this tells you probably more about the Brewers than it does about Christian Yelich, but his F4, as far as position players, is still, I think, the highest on the Brewers. And it's it's 0.8. And so I think that tells you... It does, yeah. Justin Smoke. Yeah, so... (laughs) Like it kind of tells you like where the Brewers are, right? Um, that he could have this this sort of season where he bats 200 and strikes out a bunch, and he's still their their most valuable position player. It looks like, but it was totally weird from the start of summer camp because that's really when everybody noticed that he just wasn't right. He was swinging and missing a lot, and he had these memorable battle battles versus Brandon Woodruff, where Woodruff would just like strike him out almost every time. It didn't matter what the pitch was, and it was just like striking. And we were all like, you know, talking just about the, the Milwaukee Riders. You know, you give the guy the benefit of the doubt. He's Christian Yelich. Another day, same thing. Another day, same thing. Summer camp ends. Okay, it was summer camp. And then the first couple of weeks come into the season, and he's like one for 26 or one for 27, whatever it was, with a bunch of strikeouts. And then we're all like, okay, yeah, this is this is different. And I think the biggest thing to remember, of course, is that it's, hey, it's 60 games, sure. Um, that's what everybody in Milwaukee has been telling us, that they're quick to remind us that it's, what, the end of May in a regular season, he would have 100 games to figure it out, and he probably would have, uh, because things did improve as time went on for the most part with him. The walk rate went really up, so it wasn't a question of him distinguishing balls and strikes or anything like that. It was just a matter of him missing sometimes or missing in the zone a lot. So that was concerning. I think the power numbers were there. The exit velocity was all there. So I still feel like he's a super dangerous hitter. It's just a weird sort of season for him um, that I think would have more or less not gotten to yellowish like numbers, but it would have been a lot better than what we're looking at now where he's you know at 200 for the season. We'll be right back after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yelich has sort of saved the season from being a total disaster. You know, like if you just look at the OBP and the slug, the slug's not what you'd want, but the OBP is 356. Like that's fine. You know, 12 homers, that's perfectly fine in a 60 game sample. So it's reasonable to assume that he could still, you know, he, he's not a guy who you want to make mistakes to in the postseason. I am curious though, uh, what is your sense of, you know, Keston Hira and kind of why he did not really take a step forward this year? Yeah, Keston Hira is probably the one guy that I'm super surprised surprised about just because, you know, you look at his minor league track record and what he was able to do last year. He was the guy I was actually most excited to watch this year. Of course, there's Christian Yelich on this team, so that's a weird thing to say. But, you know, you just looked at what he was able to do here in 2019, and I just couldn't 
wait to just see what he could do over a full well I thought it would be a full season so <laughs> at the time I was like oh wow you know what's he gonna do with 162 now you add both of his seasons together and I don't even think you get 162 but anyway it's just a matter of him swinging in the zone and missing so often yeah. it's outrageous it really is no player in baseball swings and misses inside the zone the way Keston Hira has this year uh, high fastballs have been a problem for him and it's not even that he's chasing them out of the zone they've just been like that sort of high strike and he's just he's, he's swings right under it. So pitchers have attacked him in that area. Game after game, we saw it. And again, it's not a question of him chasing pitches that much or anything like that. It's just right through the zone, just misses. And so, you know, a few days, a few days before the end of the season, Craig Council actually gave him a a day off just to kind of get him straight. And it seemed to have worked for a little while. Afterward, he was hitting the ball up the middle, going the other way a little bit more. And that's what, those are the good signs for Keston here. That's when you know that he's going better. But He's another guy where, you know, you saw some of the slug uh, with the home runs, but it was pretty much feast or famine for him. If it wasn't a home run, it was going to be a strikeout, I felt like. It's not a good, not a good combo. Yeah, it's one of those seasons that makes you, that is so outlandish that it makes you go back and look at his previous year. And then you realize that he actually was striking out quite a bit in 2019 too, although I didn't really notice because of the, um, because he was, I think he was like his batting average on balls and play was like, I don't know, 1100 or something like that. And um, I'm curious now where this sets him up to be in, in 2021, but I guess uh, we shall see in this in this series if he's right. Quick question. The ball is less juiced this year, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think so. Okay. But not but not unjuiced. It's not yeah, it's not like a twenty fourteen ball. No, it's like medium juiced. It's like it's like a twenty eighteen ball. Something like that. Okay. Sorry. Well tell us about the players who are good on the Brewers. Who have had good seasons. <laughs> List them, please. <laughs> I think you made a really good point just to put a bow on the Keston Hero thing. It's at a point where I just don't feel like we know exactly who he is. Right. That's, I think right. that's fair to say because he did have swing and miss in his profile in the minor leagues. He did have it last year as well, just certainly not at this outrageous rate that he had in 2020. And again, 60 games, whatever. But I think that's a fair point to kind of sum, sum him up is that we just still don't have enough on him to, to really say one way or the other, other than the fact that he's, he's still a good hitter. It's just how good he is, I, I'm not sure yet. I think that's fair. So the guys who are good, right? Uh, that's, what we, that's what we wanted to, to go with. Um, yes. So Jed Jerko had a nice year for the Brewers. He did. He did. This is true. He was one of their most valuable players. Um, Daniel Vogelback. <laughs> Pedro, be nice. Okay, okay. I'm stopping. Come on. You're going to get us yelled at by, by Brewers front office people. Okay. This is this is on me, not on Will. Okay, who else? Uh, we got Virko, we got Vogelbach. Who else? The Brewers are going to win this series, by the way. Like, oh, they might. I mean, they very well might. <laughs> they, they, like, they very well might. Yeah. Ryan Braun's been fine, right? Ryan Braun's been okay? Ryan Braun has been very good in September. Okay. He has been in and out of the lineup, had the back issue, oblique is- issues earlier. So when he has played, he has mostly produced, especially against September. So that's been a good sign for them. Lower in the lineup, Orlando Arce has been a, a pretty solid average, but mostly consistent. And he stands out in this lineup for that. He's their shortstop, bats in the lower third of the order, somewhere between seven, eight, nine, of course. And He's been okay. Nobody else really stands out for me offensively. It's been a it's been a huge issue. You could tell just up and down the order. Aviesel Garcia has moved over to center field without Lorenzo Cain, and that seems suboptimal. It's not great, but it's actually a move that worked out well for the Brewers because, like, you look at it and you're like, okay, this guy looks like a middle linebacker uh, ready to play for like the New York Jets or something. And meanwhile, he's in center field and and he's made every play. I'll give him that. He's looked pretty good in center field actually has a great arm 
He's been tested. He's thrown out runners. It's just offensively, you know, Craig Council's working theory has been that maybe some of that ground that he has had to cover had a you know, a negative effect on his offensive numbers. I mean, we're talking about a guy who I don't think he's hit a home run in like a month. And do you need more out of Abiesel Garcia for this Brewers lineup if that's the case? So offensively, I mean, those are their guys. Um, that's what they have. It's, it, the most consistent bats have been uh, Jed Jerko, uh, Daniel Vogelback. That speaks for itself. I mean, Vogelback was acquired um, in early September. And I'll give him a lot of credit for the way that he's quickly established himself here as a pretty solid bat and somebody that they could kind of count on. He gets on base. He, he takes pitches, goes deep into counts, waits for his pitch, and he, he's not afraid to go the other way. So he's been a, a huge boost for them. Um, a, really, a really good shot in the arm for their lineup. And the calling card for this team obviously has been pitching. So you know, you could go up and down that list and you and you find some pretty good numbers for the most part. And, you know, Corbin Burns made a case or made a bid for Cy Young Award for a little while. He's not going to win it, but he had a fabulous season. He's not going to be able to pitch in this series because he's on the IL. So there goes, you know, reason number one to believe in the Brewers. But they still have Brandon Woodruff, who's, as you guys know from, from their previous postseasons, he's been pretty good. And he was very good this year, particularly late in the year. And their bullpen is sharp with uh, Devin Williams, probably the best reliever in baseball right now and Josh Hader at the back end. So they're okay. I mean, they're, they are what they are. Um, but those are, those are their players that jump out to you. Those are their good players, as you put it. I guess the thing that is for the Dodgers would be particularly irritating about the Brewers is they are very, very good at game planning. They're very, they're going to be well-prepared at least from a, a, a pitching sense. Do you get the sense that they are cooking up some sort of recipe to sort of steal outs to, to get through this? Or are they going to kind of trust Brandon Woodruff to go deep in game one? Like how, how sort of gadgety do you expect them to be pitching wise? I mean, this is the team after all that like, uh, you know, pulled Wade Miley after one pitch in the NLCS. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because that's the reason to believe in the Brewers for this series. If, if you are going to wonder how they could win this series against the best team in baseball, because they're not afraid to do things differently. And they're going to be super annoying if they are going to win these games. They're going to do it in the most annoying way possible for the other team. They're going Love to <laughs> they're going to be that sort of like, you know, like when you were a kid and like you were, you were against the other like older kid who who just thought of different ways to beat you that you sure. didn't think of. That's the that's the Brewers. And they're going to win games like three to two and they're, you're going to be like, well, how do they do that? Because they're not going to score runs to beat you. They're not going to, I mean, I listed their lineup and all their flaws and the guys who stood out that are not memorable names. And they're not going, they're not going to put up a bunch of runs and beat you that way. They're going to have to do it differently. And so for them, Woodruff is probably going to pitch game two. None of this has been announced as we're speaking, but he pitched on Saturday night. So oh, oh, it lines okay. up that he probably pitches game two for them. Mm-hmm. And he is the guy that they would love for it to go deep into games um, and give them six or seven quality innings. That said, they could sort of bank on that almost with Brandon Woodruff because he's been that good. So what that does is it allows them to get very creative perhaps in game one. And what they can do is they could start, for example, 
Brent Suter, who's a relief pitcher who was very good, and he could give them two or three innings. And, you know, that word gadgety that you used, this is where it applies because then they could mix and match with a bunch of different looking arm angles and different pitches coming at you from, from different sides. And it gets to be really annoying for a batter when you get a guy like Suter who's throwing from the left side, then you perhaps go with somebody like Freddie Peralta who's like throwing above 95 from the right side. You're going to throw with a side armor and Eric Yardley. Then you get to Devin Williams and his changeup, Josh Hader, the list goes on. It's just an, it's an annoying thing to deal with. And so could they win a game that way? Yes, they have a few times already. And so I think that's probably the best way that they could go in a you know short three-game series. Let's imagine that this series goes to three games. And looking at games one and three, if I if I set the over-under at 13 Brewers pitching appearances, would you take <laughs> which would you take? Mm, let me do some quick math real real fast. In games one and three. No, yeah, in games I'll, take one the, I'll take the under. I'll take the under. I'll take the over. 13 maybe is slightly high. Yeah, 13 is lot. that number that, that invites the action for you to take the under right away. So so maybe I'll go over. Pedro, it is worth pointing out that I would say the most fun you and I ever had doing our gambling on like pregame bets on what was going to happen had to be the 2018 NLCS, right? It was a good time. It's that just, was, um, it was such know. a blast just being like, okay, you know, 10 bucks says uh, the starting pitcher will face seven batters over under today. <laughs> and like, Yeah, the outs are just, uh, yeah, batters <laughs> face were fun. The I bat- believe I really impressed Mike DiGiovanna of the LA Times <laughs> once by, uh, by pegging the over under on Kenta Maeda's batters faced exactly at the amount, oh, which wasn't strong. that weird back then because, you know, you could start to understand when you parse it in seven game series, right? You understand, okay, they don't want him to face Chris and Yelich. Right. And, right, and if Yelich right. is hitting second and the third time through the order, okay, let's put it at 19. Right. right. It, it starts to actually get like somewhat predictable. It's yeah, it's the sort of thing that the Dodgers were doing all the way back in 2016, you know, in that game five in uh, D.C. But now it's become like the plan for, you know, it's like it's de rigueur, as it were. You know, you, yeah. you should well, have a, you should have an idea going in how many batters a guy's going to face. And like the Brewers, they kind they, of brought this to baseball, right? In the playoffs on a, um, on a larger scale, it feels like. I mean, I think other teams have been doing it, but I think the Brewers feels like a team who was like, oh, we can like, this should be our strategy rather than like an option, I guess. I tell you what, man, if the Brewers can like sneak through game one and then you have Woodruff lined up in game two... <laughs> That yeah. sucks for the Dodgers. And the, thing, and the thing about the Dodgers <laughs> is that, yes, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball, but they're starting Walker Buehler in game one, right? Yeah. Walker Buehler's a very good pitcher. He's the most talented pitcher. He's healthy in this series. But he has he's thrown six innings once this season. He has a, a blister on his finger, and it would not be surprising if he can't throw more than three or four innings. And then all of a sudden, they're not in great position, right? And then, the, you know, if the Brewers can, can, you know, throw eight relievers and limit the Dodgers to two runs, and they can, you know, I could see a 3-2 victory, like Will said. I mean, it's not that hard. It's it, The two-game thing is just ridiculous yes i'll ask both you guys who is your pick to start if there is a game three who starts it for the two teams for the dodgers it's either going i think to either going to be bruised our gratterall or uh tony gonsolin okay and if it's gratterall that's an opener well well brett anderson pitched on sunday and he left the game with some sort of blister issue so we don't know we don't know his availability quite yet but if he's okay he would be my pick if he's not then you're thinking Adrian Hauser, who has struggled all year, or Josh Lindblom. Hauser's the guy who puked on the mound, right? Yep. Yep. yep, yep. Yes. Nice. Yes. He, he puked. Nice. I feel yes. bad. I, I I brought it up on the podcast earlier this year, but I think I want to. I'm not gonna let's 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 move beyond that, Andy. We don't want to no, define I, this guy. By I don't want to make. Fun, I no. All right. Yeah. You're right. I'm not trying to make fun of him. I just think that's interesting. You don't see it, that every day. <laughs> no, you don't. 
but I guess he's, he's you know, probably yeah. He I'm probably, sure he's heard it a lot. You know, man. yeah. He probably he probably doesn't like to talk about it. I don't, maybe he does. I don't know. Who can say? Rich Hill doesn't mind if you ask him about urinating on his hands. No one is as great as our guy Rich. You know, Rich America's is America's pitcher. Yeah. By the Rich way, the, the twins best. the twins are not giving him the ball in their three game series. That's a big zero for me. Don't they have good pitchers? Okay. Would you rather give the ball to Michael Pineda or Rich Hill for game three? I honestly have no idea how Michael Pineda has pitched this season, so I couldn't I, speak to it. Okay, so the answer is Rich Hill. Uh well, Rich has been pretty good. Yes. He, his strikeouts are down and like he's you know I mean, oh, Panini's Rich- been fine too. They're both they're both fine. Maybe they'll use both. Maybe. I guess we'll see. What do you think, Will? I'm going Rich Hill. There all you the go. Way. That's how you, it's me. That's how you suck up to these to our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, quick prediction. What do you guys got? How's this going to go, Will? Uh, I got the Dodgers winning. I got to go in the game three, but I got the Dodgers winning it. Pedro, the same thing. Dodgers in three. I'll take the Dodgers in two. I don't know. All right. Know. You're not into the gadgets, Andy. I mean, it's just so. I mean, none of us have any idea. Right? Like, the Dodgers are probably, what, a 60 to 65% favorite in this series? Uh, I think a little more than that. A little more? A little more than 60. I feel pretty confident. I guess because the the Brewers' offense is just so... They're missing their best pitcher. It would be different if they had a 1-2 punch. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be a a really formidable option if it was Burns Woodruff. So, yeah. But it's not. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I was talking to, uh, like, a, a Dodgers guy today who was just, just like, this does not feel like the postseason. This is just very strange. And I, I think like, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I do, on the one hand, like, I think these next couple days are going to be genuinely really exciting. You know, like, I think getting a chance to watch Bieber Cole is going to be really fun. It's going to be very difficult for people to remain rational about the results of this month. Um, because it's the playoffs, right? You know, and so everyone's going to want to react or you know, one way or the other to what happens. But, like, this is as ridiculous a tournament as they've ever staged. I uh, can't disagree with you. It does not seem like these two teams that we're talking about should be matched up in the postseason. But, you know, <laughs> there's still a 30-plus percent chance that the Brewers will win. So One team was on pace for 116 wins, and the other one has <laughs> never – their best record was on opening day. God bless They're them. the worst team to ever make the Major League Baseball playoffs. Yeah, and the Dodgers uh, are one of the best. Yeah, the Astros are too this year. Yeah. The Astros are two games. Multiple, two teams can be the worst, man. That's true. That's true. Well, Will, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We really appreciate it. Hope you uh, stay safe and enjoy whatever happens over the next few days. Thanks for helping our uh, listeners figure out what's going on out there in Wisconsin. Oh, anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. Enjoyed it. No problem. Bye-bye.